Hello, hello, my lovely listener. For you, it has been a while since I've done an interview on this podcast, which is why I am so excited for today's chat with Eva at justbeing.eva on Instagram. A couple weeks ago, Eva sent me a DM asking if she could be on the podcast to share her story as an autistic person in eating disorder recovery. From the moment we had our first Zoom call, Eva and I became best friends, which to me acts as such a beautiful reminder that you are never alone in this world. In today's episode, Eva and I share so many valuable lessons we've learned on our own journeys to recovery from eating disorders as autistic individuals, from the impact autism has in recovery, the effects of forced treatment, what food freedom and intuitive eating really looks like for autistic individuals, why autistic people may be especially sensitive to diet culture, the importance of embracing your autistic traits to fully recover from an eating disorder, and so much more. Connecting with like-minded individuals that share my same values and passions fills my heart like nothing else in this world. So if you, my lovely listener, ever want to be on this podcast, please reach out and I'd love to set up a time to talk. Right now, it's time to dive into my chat with Eva, so be sure to follow us both on Instagram at livelabelfree and at justbeing.eva and let us know what insights you took from our conversation. We both look forward to hearing from you and spreading awareness about all things autism and eating disorders. Welcome to Live Label Free, the podcast where we talk about all things eating disorder recovery, autism, entrepreneurship, and so much more. I'm your host, Livia Sarah, and my mission is to inspire individuals from across the globe to live a life in which they feel fulfilled and free from limiting labels. I am so excited to have you here and cannot wait to dive into the episode. Hey, Eva, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I am so glad you reached out to me to record this episode together and am excited to dive into your experience with autism, eating disorders, and to have you take our audience along on your personal growth journey. How are you feeling today? Hey, um, yeah, I'm feeling really excited. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting dived into the topics and just really nice to have a conversation with you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so, so excited. And I've been excited ever since we spoke for the first time last week. Yeah. I'd like to start off by giving our listeners some background on who you are, what you do and all that good stuff. So would you be able to share a bit of your story with us? Yeah, yeah, of course. So um, from a young age, I guess I felt really different. And it wasn't until maybe last year that I got an autism diagnosis. Um, But yeah, previous to that, I got my anorexia diagnosis. But I've also had like quite a lot of other mental health struggles. So I think my account I have is a really nice place of like making me choose recovery. Um, And yeah, as I said, I'm in a lot better place now. But yeah, I've had a long journey, but I think it's really nice to be able to connect with people like you and just have the space. Yeah, the feeling is so, so mutual. I I always say like there's so many different sides to social media and just 
media and community in general. I mean, every, I guess, positive in life has its downside and the things that make it harder. And I think especially with social media and just being bombarded by stimuli every single day, especially as an autistic person, can make social media, I mean, very, very overwhelming, overstimulating. And it. I've often found that if I am not very conscious about my social media consumption, it totally drains me and it exhausts me like it would having an actual conversation in the real world. But at the same time, I mean, social media is so, so powerful and I wouldn't know you. We wouldn't have connected and I wouldn't have the connections and knowledge I have now were it not for connecting with so many like-minded, literally, um, individuals. So I think it's so, so important to always be very aware of your consumption with social media um, and focus on like, am I getting energy out of it? And as soon as you you realize you're not, um, it may be time to think about evaluating um, and setting boundaries with social media. Um, so kind of back to your story on autism and your eating disorder and like the diagnoses, can you kind of give our listeners some context of when you were diagnosed with anorexia and then what led to this diagnosis and then also when you were diagnosed with autism and what led to that diagnosis? So I was diagnosed with anorexia in September 2020 and then I was diagnosed as autistic May 2021. So like six months difference, is that? Okay, wow. So I had had a long waiting list for the autism assessment, obviously, because I got it done through in the UK, the NHS. So I kind of knew I might be autistic, but when I had my anorexia diagnosis, I wasn't diagnosed and I wasn't self-diagnosed either. So I was already with a psychiatrist and stuff through CAMS because I was struggling with my mental health. So then they kind of like picked up on it and yeah, I just got referred not as straightforward as that, but yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's never as straightforward as that. I mean, it always shocks me so much when health professionals say like, you're too complex or the situation is too difficult. I'm like, yeah. when is a mental health situation not complex? Like, can you give me an example of a simple mental health issue yeah exactly yeah like I feel like the very definition of issue is something that we don't know how to solve so it just yeah I feel like the whole system is just such a paradox um but anyways (laughs) you said um you said something interesting you said I've been I was on the waiting list for a while because I mean I suspected that I was on the spectrum um but I'm wondering because from my personal experience I mean I didn't know what autism was until I really started diving into it. And from reading and research, I was like, I I think I'm autistic. Or at first I thought you would say I have autism. I mean, I didn't know the difference before. So I, I'm kind of wondering um, what kind of triggered you to look into autism and what kind of made you realize like you think you are on the spectrum? Because I mean, growing up, you're not taught in school, you know, this is autism and girls can have autism. We grow up with stereotype and watching movies or TV shows that portray the stereotype of autism. Um, so I guess, yeah, that's my question is what, what was kind of that um, trigger point for you? Yeah, so in secondary school, I really struggled um, and I was unable to attend for four years because of 
undiagnosed autism and complete sensory overload and like anxiety about leaving the house and all of that stuff. So I kind of had no support for a long time. And then it wasn't until I got put to the children adolescent mental health services in called CAMS in the NHS that we kind of like figured out that I might be autistic. So they said, oh, I think she might be autistic. And what age were you at that point? I was 13, maybe. And how old are you now? Nearly 16. Okay, got it. Yeah, so I think that's just the context is important for listeners. <laughs> what you said about struggling in school really, really resonates with me so much. Um, and now that I'm thinking about it, like I've been, as some of my Instagram followers know, I've actually started writing a book and it's a memoir about growing up as an undiagnosed autistic person and sharing kind of my story with how my autism manifested as an eating disorder and how ultimately my mess became my message. Um, And just thinking back to that time, really going back to literally day one of me being born um, and kind of writing about every step of the way that I took to being where I am now. It's bringing up a lot about school, obviously, and friendship and all of these difficulties I had that I didn't know were autistic traits until I'm reflecting now and looking back. And I think the power of reflection is just incredible. And I think we really, really undervalue it. And it's something that I talk about in coaching with clients a lot is reflecting and celebrating every win. Um, Cause we often only realize how far we've come when we look back um, on how far we've come. Um, so I, I think that reflection is so, so important. Um, and I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that school was so, so difficult growing up because I think when you don't know um, when you just feel like there's something wrong with you you're just trying to fit in um, even though we we weren't meant to fit in especially with our unique neurodivergent brains I think that can that can just make life so much harder than it needs to be so yeah so what when you eventually did get your eating disorder diagnosis what happened after that Um, I guess I was forced into recovery in quotes. So I wasn't actually forced into recovery, but I was forced into weight gain because I was under 18. Um, Yep. (laughs) I I recognize it. Yeah. Yeah. um, There was a lot of distress, I guess. But I think obviously you can have an eating disorder at any weight. But once I did get nearly weight restored, my brain became so much more like me again. And that is when I started to want to recover and actually started my recovery journey, I would say. So I think that is like a massive piece of advice. Like even if you don't want to gain weight and you think it won't get easier, it will, in my experience. No, I think that is so, so important to share that um, because I think when you are very deep in the illness and you are very sick um, and you also, you know, just malnourished, I mean, you literally cannot think rationally anymore when you are malnourished because the brain, the brain can't function optimally. Um, so it makes it, of course, so much harder to trust that weight gain is the path forward. Um, and I think that's where the importance comes in of trusting your treatment team and trusting those who are saying you need to gain weight. Um, and I always say, and I mean, this is kind of controversial and some people are like, why are you saying that? I always say like, you can always gain the weight and give recovery your full shot. And if a recovered life truly, truly sucks, like you can always go back, but you can never turn back time if you're living with an eating disorder for months, years, sometimes even decades. I mean, I have clients that are, that have been over 50 and they've been struggling with this for 
literally 30 years, if not more. Of course, you, you can't turn back time, but you can only change what you do right now. I mean, the only moment we ever have is the present moment. I think it's so, so valuable that you do share that because I think you're so right. Like the, the waking is the hardest when you first start. Um, but, you know, they what they always say is like it often gets worse before it gets better because as I gained weight and did become healthier and my brain could think more normally, I didn't fear waking anymore even though I was at a higher weight and people are like huh that doesn't make any sense like you should feel waking more because now you have less weight to gain but it's like no because now you realize that weight gain isn't a bad thing I mean it's the very reason we need to gain weight and have fat on our bodies is just to be healthy and I think you can really only recognize what health is when you are on that journey to health and you're not stuck in an eating disorder Have you listened to my free audio training yet? If not, you have got to get your booty over to my website right now and download the audio training, Three Steps to Recovery from an Eating Disorder as an Autistic Person. If there is one question I get asked the most when it comes to autism and eating disorders, it's whether or not I believe it's harder for an autistic person to recover from an eating disorder. The fact that this is such a common question is really no surprise as autistic traits are often the root cause of the disordered eating behaviors. I believe my own eating disorder was simply a manifestation of my autism. Obsessive interests, the need for predictability and routine, difficulty with change, being sensitive. As soon as you mix food and exercise into this autistic assemblage of traits, it's literally a recipe for an eating disorder. So then how does an autistic individual approach recovery from an eating disorder? Well, that is exactly what you will learn in my free audio training. While listening, you'll be guided through three simple steps to give you the clarity and confidence you need to use your autism to your advantage in recovery. It's like having a private coaching session with me on demand. To listen to the free training, all you have to do is head over to livelabelfree.com forward slash free dash audio training and you'll be on your way to learning the skills to fully recover from an eating disorder as an autistic person. Achieving a state of full recovery from an eating disorder will be a different journey than for someone who is not autistic but that doesn't mean it has to be harder. I did it which means you can too. Now let's get back to today's episode. You did say you say like I was forced into waking um, and I, a conversation we had before we started recording was about this like forced treatment um, because of course being under 18. I mean, I personally believe that I was sent in and out of treatment for over seven years before I decided like I want to recover. Um, and in many ways, I feel like because I was also undiagnosed autistic, I feel like the the forced treatment, the, the force kind of yielded the opposite effect of what it was supposed to do because as an autistic person I like to be in control you know I like to do things myself I like to decide the rules so it really led to a lot of rebellion hiding food secret exercise you know doing 
everything to manipulate the system. So I'm wondering for you if if that resonates at all. And if you felt at any point in your journey that the first treatment kind of had an opposite effect. Yeah, I mean, to certain extents, definitely. I feel like there's not enough research between autism and eating disorders. Like I think a high percent of people who go to inpatient have basically the diagnostic criteria of an autism diagnosis. And it's just so unrecognized. Um, Yeah, I definitely think it just wasn't done in a way that suited me. I'm not exactly sure how it could be done, but I definitely didn't have good experience with the eating disorder service. Um, I think it's kind of confusing getting the eating disorder control and the autism control like tangled into one almost. It's like, which is which? So I think that was really difficult for my family. Yeah, I think especially what you said about inpatient. I mean, I am, of course, I I'm writing my memoir now, but I later want to write a book uh, specifically on the science and the research behind anorexia and autism. And something that I found very, very fascinating um, and that I've learned is that it's tricky, I think, when you are malnourished and you are actively living or rather, should I say, surviving in an eating disorder to even diagnose the autism at all because an anorexic brain and malnourished brain becomes an autistic brain and that's why I think it's very difficult to look solely at um, an individual's current state and say oh they match the criteria for anorexia and autism because when you show malnourished the brain mimics an autistic brain if that makes sense Um, so I think when it when you do look further and say could there be underlying autism it is so so important to look back at before the eating disorder happened and to look at the childhood because if someone was growing up and they were quote-unquote normal and they never had any autistic traits and then they develop an eating disorder and suddenly they want routine and they have difficulty with change and they don't want to be social and they isolate themselves and they're overstimulated and people say oh it's autism well it's like, no, that could just be the eating disorder because that's what you do when you are in <laughs> survival mode. Yeah, no, that's such a good point. Yeah, so I, I think it's just really important for our listeners. Um, because I do focus on the link between autism and eating disorders, I often get many questions like, I think I'm autistic, but then I always say like, were you autistic before this? Or did the autism just seem to pop up coinciding with your eating disorder? Because if, if that's the case, then it's most likely just the effects of starvation on the body and the brain. So yeah, so thank you for sharing kind of your experience with that system and your thoughts on that. So I'm kind of wondering, how do you feel when you got your autism diagnosis six months later? How do you feel that impacted your recovery from your eating disorder? Um, so I guess I just decided to go almost like all in just before my diagnosis of autism. (laughs) But I think it was a massive turning point for me because I knew that I was different my whole life and I didn't quite know why. And I think it's just that self-acceptance and understanding, which obviously isn't straightforward linked to eating disorder or anorexia. But I kind of thought I wanted to like embrace me again because for so many years I tried to hide my true self just by doing tiny things that would accumulate. And yeah, I think I just wanted to be like, connect to my younger self almost and just eat freely um, and just try and live a better life. Okay, so when you eat freely, I think it's so beautiful how you um, say like you wanted to kind of come back to your true self, come back to your younger self, even though 
you know you're never going to be the person obviously you were before you got an eating disorder and before you got your diagnosis because you're so much wiser now and stronger and braver but I think recovery almost comes down to discovering yourself who you truly are not before your eating disorder but who you are at your core maybe before that you even knew who you were when you were a child and when you say eat freely I think that concept of like intuitive eating and food freedom is very unique to neurodivergent individuals I know it certainly is for me because I do like structure and I do like routine and I always have Um, and I think that's what can make the nuance between recovery for an autistic individual from an eating disorder very different than just recovery for someone who's not autistic because they may not have those same inklings for routine and structure that your younger self already had so when you say you want to eat freely again and you you want to discover your true self what do you feel like that looks like for you and how do you think that is unique to you as opposed to were you not autistic I feel like firstly lots of autistic people struggle with hunger cues Now, I do experience hunger cues, but I have unreliable ones. And (laughs) I always have done, but I completely lost them when I was malnourished. Um, But yeah, so I just eat according to my mental hunger. If I'm thinking about food, I'll eat food, which I think you should do in recovery anyway. And I think you should just do anyway. In life, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like, if you want to live your happiest life, just eat when you want to eat. Otherwise, you're going to be thinking about it. I think that's also where that trust comes in. I think we've been so conditioned by diet culture that thinking about food doesn't actually mean we're hungry but it's become a bad habit or it's become something we do when we're bored but I'm like your brain and your body don't just think about food for shits and giggles like you have more important things to do like we are so so busy and overstimulated like if your brain's priority was not to eat you'd be thinking about your next item on your to-do list but if you are doing your next item on your to-do list and you're constantly distracted by the fact that you really want to go eat a donut I'm like that means your body probably needs to donut but then of course we have all this second guessing and self-doubt of like oh no this is bad like I can't I should block this out but then it's again like what do you have to lose like the worst thing that could happen is that you go eat the donut and you're still thinking about food. Okay, well, then maybe there's something else going on. But the best thing that could happen, which is most likely the case, is that you eat the donut and move on with your life and can actually focus on what really matters. Um, because I always say, like, your life isn't supposed to revolve around food and exercise. Like, your life is supposed to revolve around your life and food and joyful movement rather than exercise like those are things that enhance your life yeah I totally agree with you I think like we have so much more to worry about than food um and it shouldn't take over our lives and if it is taking over our lives it's probably because we need the food so yeah it's just our twisted diet culture coming in and I think especially for autistic individuals we can take those things quite literally if they say need to eat healthy, you're like, okay, I need to like cut out all sugar, for example. Yes. No, I'm so, so glad you brought that up because a huge, like very important question I wanted to ask you on this um, interview chat was like the effect you feel diet culture has on autistic individuals who struggle with disordered eating. Because again, kind of back to my book, um, just looking back at 
my life growing up and really kind of reflecting on how did this eating disorder develop in the first place and what were like the telltale autistic signs that contributed to that were absolutely the literal thinking and I think also the perfectionism um, in huge ways like I remember in fifth grade I don't know if that's how the school system is is done in the UK like how they do that with grades because you have primary school and secondary school and everything um it's different in Holland too um so but when I was in fifth grade so just to give context I was I think 11 years old and I'm now 22 for everyone, anyone wondering um I remember learning about nutrition in school and we were learning about like puberty and how to fuel your body um and also that year we had it was the first year that we would be like tested on our fitness levels. So we had like the beep test. I don't know if you had that too, where you have to like run and then the beeps keep getting faster. And me being an athlete, I mean, I played like all the sports you can think of as a kid. I was always running around, um, always climbing on everything, um, just full of energy. I was like, I'm an athlete. Like I need to perform. Like this is a competition. Like I need to win this this beep test like even though I had remembered the the gym teacher saying like this isn't a competition but I was like oh no it's a competition like I need to prove that I'm an athlete otherwise everyone will think I'm a fraud and I think that was almost a mask in and of itself for me trying to prove myself to prove that I was worthy to prove that I wasn't a fake and I wasn't a fraud so it was in a way, I feel like masking my autism, like, look, look, I do fit in, like, I'm an athlete, like, I can show you, and learning about the nutrition, of course, too, like, we were told exercise for at least 60 minutes a day, and I was like, oh, well, now I have to, on the days that I don't have soccer practice, on the days I don't have gymnastics, I need to go for a run, because I need to have at least 60 minutes a day, and then with the nutrition, it was like, yeah, like, sugar is bad, and I was like, okay, all the baking I was doing, I mean, everything I was like okay no more cookies we're only eating bananas and toast with 100% natural peanut butter no high fructose corn syrup like all the things that you're taught in school and I think for people that are not autistic they're like oh whatever like I'm still gonna eat my chips and my cookies this is just stupid school but for us autistic people who are like who also I think do live in a constant state of fear and anxiety when we hear like you're gonna develop diabetes or you're gonna become overweight if you eat sugar or eat processed food or go to mcdonald's or whatever like bad things are gonna happen to you i was like oh my gosh like i need to do everything in my power to make sure these bad things quote-unquote bad things don't happen Are you ready to kick extreme hunger to the curb and finally feel satisfied in every sense of the word? Well, you are in luck because I have created the world's very first course that teaches you exactly how to beat extreme hunger and overcome all of the challenges that come with it. Whether you want to learn how to get rid of mental hunger, heal your digestive issues, accept weight gain, let go of food guilt, or all of that and more, my course, Extremely Hungry to Completely Satisfied, is the all-in-one resource I wish I had during one of the scariest periods of my life. Full of video presentations, lessons, and worksheets, my course combines scientific research with years of personal experience to yield a step-by-step framework that provides you with tangible action steps. 
People who have worked through the course have regained their periods, let go of food guilt, and completely shifted their mindset to come from a place of fear and scarcity to a newfound love for life. All in just eight weeks. The best part is, I am so confident that this course is exactly what you need to achieve a life of freedom that I offer a 100% satisfaction, risk-free guarantee, meaning if you go through the course, put in the work, and don't get any results, I'll give you a full refund, no questions asked. So truly, you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Enroll in my Extreme Hunger course today by clicking the link in the description below or visiting the link livelabelfree.com forward slash extreme dash hunger dash course. That's livelabelfree, like the name of this podcast, dot com forward slash extreme dash hunger dash course. I am beyond excited for you to let go of a life that revolves around food and instead gain a life that revolves around your life. After all, you've only got one. Now, let's get back to today's episode. Yeah, kind of jumping to today, my name, Live Label Free, I mean, every day I'm like reminded of why I think Live Label Free is so, so powerful because I think a huge part of diet culture especially for autistic people is this attachment of good and bad wrong or right to the way we eat to to the way we move um to the way we live like even with when it comes to working and taking rest it's like no if you are not waking up at 5 a.m and going to the gym and drinking your green smoothie you have already missed half of the day and you are behind in life and you are bad (laughs) it's like no, like we, I always love the quote, we are human beings, not human doings. So yeah, um, sorry, I kind of went off and showed my own story, but I'm kind of wondering what is your kind of, when you're reflecting on your childhood and learning about nutrition and all that, and how, how do you feel like diet culture affected you as an autistic individual? Yeah, so I remember in year six, which I think is the same as grade five, because how old were you? About 11. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember we got weighed. Everyone had to get weighed. And looking back at that is shocking. We were given an envelope to open. And my anxiety was like sky roof high. I've never been like the skinniest. I've always been healthy, but I've never been like super petite. So yeah, that caused so much anxiety. And I wasn't struggling with food back then, but I have always been highly sensitive and I've always super struggled with my self-belief and self-worth. So I think that's one of the ways it manifested into an eating disorder. Definitely. Yeah. Like wanting to prove yourself, wanting to prove that you're worthy. Yeah. (laughs) And I think food and like movement are, I always say like, it's, it's not even a strange thing that people will turn to food and exercise when they feel like they want to prove themselves because I'm like what is something we all need to do every day the whole day is eat so I'm like that's the easiest thing to control and I mean some people do alcohol or drugs or turn to smoking but I mean food especially when you're at the young age of 11 it's like you don't have access to drugs and alcohol and smoking but what do you do have access to to food so it's like almost a given that you're going to manipulate that and what you just said about the weight and the envelope I I realize now too like that was also a part of this whole learning about nutrition and 
exercise and getting tested and stuff is we had to get our height and weight and it was sent in an envelope home and for me I feel like that's almost also where it started I was like because I have always been very petite and small I was always like on the lowest growth curve on the chart of at the doctor which is of course according to BMI which I now know is complete bullshit but that became a competition for me because I knew I was on that lowest curve and at that point I was like well I have to stay here because that's like that's where I've always been and I think that's almost where the autistic trait of difficulty with change and sameness and yeah things have to be a certain way I think that's almost where that came in and then I was like okay I need to make sure this this weight stays low but when you are so hyper fixated on your weight like I feel like you will unintentionally or intentionally just lose weight especially when you add the cutting out of sugars and cookies and all these things and I think that's also a huge link to the reason why so many autistic people develop eating disorders is because when you lose weight you are signaling to your body that that scarcity and I think that triggers the energy deficit and the energy deficit triggers the anorexia genes to become active I mean the rest is history and it spirals and the malnourished brain wants to cling more to routine and has more difficulty with change and becomes more overly sensitive and I often talk about interoception, that the ability to respond and recognize our inner cues, how that's a link between eating disorders and um, autism, because people with autism often struggle with um, recognizing those inner cues, such as hunger. And when we are malnourished, the blood flow to the brain is reduced, which makes the insula malfunction. And the insula is a part of our brain that is responsible for the interoception. So you almost become like, I don't want to say more autistic, but like your interoception reduces even more. So you're going to become even more out of touch with your body. And I know I just threw in a ton of science there, but I mean, the science and the research like is just so fascinating to me. Um, just how the brain works, because I think health specialists, you know, specialists, I'm going to call them and professionals, I think they often, especially when there's undiagnosed underlying issues, they look at a very surface level. And I think one of the biggest problems in the healthcare industry is someone will come to them saying, I'm struggling with food and exercise. And if this person doesn't meet some sort of weight criteria, it's like, um, no, like you're just depressed or something like, <laughs> yeah. And I think that kind of not being validated, not being seen, of course, leads to the worsening of the problem. And I think is enhanced for autistic people that already feel unseen and feel like they can't be who they are, which makes them turn to food and exercise even more. And it's just like a downward spiral. And ugh, the, the healthcare system is just so fucked up. <laughs> like I, it's the best way I can describe it. And that's honestly the reason I'm writing my book and the reason I do the work I do and work with people and coach clients is because everyone deserves to be understood and to be heard and to have someone that wants to help them and that knows how to help them and doesn't say, yeah, this is too complex by go figure it out. Or like for me, this was before my autism diagnosis. I, when I was diagnosed with anorexia, I was at the same time diagnosed with depression and all of the clinics I went to, it was like, oh, you have anorexia and depression. Well, fix your depression first, then come back for anorexia. And then when we went to the eating disorder clinic, it was like, 
oh, well, fix your depression first, whatever, you, you get the point. Like, it was like, fix the other thing first um, and then come back. Even worse, like, I feel like with autism and people thinking that autism can be treated or cured or something, it's like, no, you have to get rid of autism first and then fix your eating disorder. And I'm like, this is so, so, so problematic. And it just makes everything worse. We have this expression in Dutch. Um, I don't know if you have it in in English or an American, but it's you fall between like land and ship, like you fall in the middle of the ocean without being given a life vest or anything, and you're just told to learn how to swim. And yeah, that's that's like I said, the reason why I do the work I do today is because I want to show people, and I think that is so so beautiful and valuable. And having these conversations with you and other people that have similar experiences is that even if you're autistic, recovery from an eating disorder is still possible, but you just need the proper guidance and tools and someone who understands and someone who who's willing and I think most importantly, believing in you. And of course, you believing in yourself too, because I also often say like the first step to achieving is believing you can do the thing because no one ever succeeded at anything by already having decided that they were going to fail. <laughs> Mm. or even like faking that you're going to believe it just say what's the worst to lose let's do it I know I can do this and worst case scenario you can't do it but if you keep going with recovery you will be able to do it eventually it just is a long process like no one would say to someone who was diagnosed with cancer oh just start drinking more water and if it gets worse we'll see you in a couple of years you know and it's not that dissimilar so Yeah, no, I completely agree what you said. It's like, what do you have to lose? That when I realized and started asking myself that question, I was like, it's so true. Like, you know that the life you're living right now when you have an eating disorder, that that life is making you miserable and it's not making you happy. So it's like, it's it's about time you try something different. And if that doesn't work, then you try something else. But I think when we're stuck in this scarcity mindset of, it's this or that, and there's nothing in between. And I think that can make recovery difficult for autistic people again, that black and white thinking, because you're like, it's this or that. And if there's nothing in between, it's like, I'd rather stay safe in what I know, which is the eating disorder. But you can only discover a life beyond your eating disorder if you fully take that leap. And if and you say, you know, I'm going to try and swim, even if I've never done it before. But there's this quote um, by Pippi Longstocking that's like, I've never done it before, so I'm sure I can do it. <laughs> and I just love that because it's so optimistic. And like you said, even if you can't do it or it is difficult, like it's a process. And we are constantly learning, like even if it is difficult and you fall down, well, you know what? You just get up again and try again or you try something else and you keep going until you get where you want to go because life is going to go on and staying stuck in your eating disorder isn't just going to press pause like for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Like you're just going to get older and older and throw your life away if you are staying sick. Yeah. And if you think about yourself in however many years, say 20 years, you don't want to be still stuck in anorexia or a mental illness or something worse. You want to be living a happy life. And even if you do feel like your eating disorder is like a safety net, it's actually not. Your eating disorder is trying to kill you slowly. Um, And it is a liar. It's manipulative. Yeah, what you said about it being manipulative. I always like to compare an eating disorder to, to like a virus and saying it like, 
it takes all your strengths and it uses you as its host to manipulate and multiply and ingrain itself into your life and pretend that it's what you want, where actually it's just using you to get what it wants, which is to make you small and make your world small, literally and figuratively, and live a life of misery. So that's why I think it is so incredibly beautiful what we are both doing, um, showing up on Instagram and social media and showing up on this podcast today and, and spreading not only awareness about this link and about autism and eating disorders separately, but also acceptance for autism and just illustrating this idea that you can be neurodivergent and you can be mentally unique. I mean, we all are, even if you aren't neurodivergent, we are all so different and that full recovery is possible, but only if you are willing to make it possible, only if you are committed to, to choosing to live. So with that said, I kind of have some last questions for you. And that one of them is what has helped you the most when it comes to recovery as a neurodivergent individual? Yes. So as I mentioned previously, definitely getting my autism diagnosis. Um, And then I guess just trying to change my perspectives on food over time. And this isn't just like a quick fix. And obviously it's not, yeah, something you can just change instantly. But I think the more you feed yourself, the more your perceptions of food will change and you'll stop labeling foods good or bad. And again, it comes back to the black and white thinking that's something that I personally fall into the habit of a lot. The world isn't black and white. It's practically never black and white. It's a color spectrum. I mean, I love to say that um, the world is almost like the autism spectrum is that, you know, the whole range of colors, it's the entire rainbow. And autism is also a spectrum. Like no one person who's autistic is better or good or bad or is better than the other. Just like no way of life or no point of life or no food is good or bad like it's all different and everything has its its own unique qualities um and that's what makes the world so beautiful is that everything is different um because if everything was black or white if everyone was the same the world would be hella boring (laughs) yeah and you don't want to be like everyone else anyway that's I think the biggest lesson to learn like you are your own individual person so there's no point of trying to fit in to be everyone like everyone else like people are going to talk about you behind your back anyway people are gonna judge you anyway so whether you're the kindest person on the world yeah and I mean we wouldn't even be having this conversation if we were like everyone else because there would be nothing to talk about (laughs) um so with that said yes I mean I'd like to have our listeners learn more about you and your Instagram um so how has documenting your journey on Instagram helped you and um what is your handle name so people can find you too um yeah so my handle name is at justbeing.eva so it's all about as I mentioned yeah connecting autism and mental health but all things in between Um, and it's really helped me to connect to other people like you and I guess put my recovery first and prioritize that and then I find looking back at my own posts and other people's really beneficial to me and actually realizing oh, I've written these words. I believe this once. If I've gone through a dark patch, I wrote that last night. So I do believe it's true, if that makes sense. Like knowing that I have hope, even if I lose it at some points. Yeah, I think that again is that power of reflection. Like we only know how far we've come when we look back um, and, and see how many steps we've taken because success or progress does not happen overnight. It's not a single step. It's consistent steps over time I think that's at its core what 
living your life to the fullest is, is constantly reflecting and saying, asking yourself, what do I want? And what do I have to do to get there? That's what living your life is. But also, of course, recovery is who do I want to be and how do I want to live? And what action, no matter how hard, do I have to take to become to come closer to that? And like we said, with the weight gain, like it, it will get worse before it gets better often. But when you persist and you keep going and you keep that goal in mind you're going to come so far and before you even know it you're going to look back and think whoa I could have never done that a year ago yet look at me now just doing it without even thinking yeah I would say to my family that I literally don't recognize myself when I was deep in anorexia I do not recognize myself firstly like I lost my personality I lost my laugh I lost my hair I lost my just happiness and then obviously like I don't recognize my physical being, but it's so much more than that. I feel like I just lost me. Like I lost Eva. So even if it is taking away that safety blanket, yeah, it's so worth it. Yeah. And I I love that. I think that's such a beautiful way to close is that we lose ourselves um, almost to find ourselves again um, by taking conscious action to do that and to come back to a true identity and if not come back to really to discover our true identity so are there any last words you wanted to share before we wrap up this episode yeah I think if not now when you could always put off recovery put it off and be like I can do that when I'm x weight when I'm this whatever well that it's just lies like if you have that mindset which you obviously do when you're suffering from an eating disorder it's not just going to magically be okay when you get to that goal so if not now when just chuck yourself in at the deep end is my advice and after a few moments you'll be able to breathe again I love that so so much thank you that was absolutely beautiful yes Eva it was such a delight speaking with you today and I have no doubt my audience will be just as delighted to listen to this conversation that is just so so packed with value um, I mean, it was so nice speaking with you and I I just really, really love connecting. Um, so if our listeners do want to learn more about you or get in touch with you, what would be the best way to do so? Um, yeah, I think just check out my Instagram. Um, Slide into the DM. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, as I said, thank you so much for having me. Your account is amazing and you're changing lives literally. Um, so it really meant a lot to have me on this podcast. Thank you. That truly means the absolute world to me. Well, thank you, Eva, for coming on the podcast. And to whoever's listening, thank you for listening. Um, Be sure to send me and Eva a DM. So Eva gave her handle name. My handle name is obviously Live Label Free. Um, And we look forward to having you join in on the conversation because I think there's nothing more valuable than connecting with people who share the same values. All right, well, we'll talk to you in the next episode. Bye. Bye. 